everybody. Welcome to Sonic Talk, episode 557, recording today, Wednesday, the 7th of November. Remember, remember the 7th of November. Uh, it's the 5th, isn't it? But uh, we just had firework night, which seems to be rapidly becoming something that you're not supposed to do because uh, there's lots of scared pets and stuff. And I've seen some really distressing pictures of small creatures shivering under tables while the fireworks go on, which is always horrible to see. But it's it, it's a weird thing, that. Uh, I uh, did enjoy a nice bonfire night display despite that but this isn't really a comment on uh, the social and cultural uh, affectations of uh, 16th century rogues who tried to blow up the houses of parliament this is a music technology podcast to do with music technology that has nothing to do with that kind of thing so welcome everybody uh, i want to say uh, hello and thank you very much to isotope who will be uh, providing a copy of their isotope rx7 uh, audio restoration suite and plugins uh, as a competition prize. Uh, the last week's entry will be announced a little bit later and we'll run the competition for next week as well, so do stay tuned for that. Uh, also want to um, say hello to... Uh, well, actually, I'm going to play this ad because uh, this is an ad for our uh, live event because we're getting closer and closer to our Sonic Talk live in Bristol. And I'll let Gaz explain a little bit more about what it's about. Hello, Gaz here. Just want to tell you about the great Sonic State Live event that we've got planned on the 24th of November. That date again? The 24th of November! We've got some special guests coming along. We've got Will Gregory from Goldfrap, Adrian Utley from Portishead, Dave Spears from G4 Software, and the inimitable Ty Unwin. They're going to be bringing along some of their favourite pieces of kit and giving little talks and demonstrations. But on top of that, we've got live performances from the battery-operated orchestra and Chris Calcutt, plus other special guests too. Now, it's starting 3pm DBS in Bristol. Tickets are available now, but are extremely limited. If you can't join us in person, then please join us online. We're going to be streaming from 6.30pm. And also, there's going to be a social media wall, so your comments will be available for us all to see. So you can join in no matter where you are. Anyway, Sonic State Live, what's the date again? The 24th of November. <laughs> Come along if you can, or tune in. I want to say thank you very much to Gaz for doing that. It was great fun. And uh, as actually, since I posted it, we've sold some more tickets, you know, which is what you really want. And also to publish the fact that we'll be streaming the performance side of the show uh, live and online via the YouTube channel. And, you know, uh, I'm not sure about Facebook yet. Maybe. We'll see how it goes. So um, let's say hello to our guests. Let's, uh, let's start with uh, Mr. Matt Hodson, Matthew Hodson there in his uh, crib. His modular crib studio <laughs> uh, with with that sort of royal purple walls is that soothing? Do you find it? Uh, do you find it kind yeah. of sets the tone? Like I say, I, I think I was copying off you, Nick, with your. But yours are lights. I discovered mine. Mine's permanent now, so I'm kind of stuck with it. It does do my head in after a while. I must admit, I, everything starts to sound I, like Prince. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, there's no windows in here, so I don't know. I just purple. It was. That was just the colour I went with. But oh, that's I have good. Some it looks good. Anyway, Matthew Hodson, it, obviously, right. artist, uh, modular guy, uh, also uh, one of the chief lecturers, course director at uh, BIMS in Brighton. Uh, so do check his stuff out. You've got a great hey. YouTube channel. And you've been doing some more live streaming and modular tip stuff, right? I have, yeah. Um, yeah, what I've been doing recently, oh, the IntelliGel, the use, one new step. This is pretty cool. Little uh, one new tile, which is a step sequencer, actually. Uh, gives four channels out. It's nice and small and compact, but very, very powerful and very playable. So I think that was my last video, I think, that I did recently. So, yeah, check that out if you'd like to. 
Thank you very much. I think we will. I will also say hello to Robbie Bronneman, who's there in his Bristol studio crib. Is Are we in your control room now? Is that your kind of your mixing position that you're in at the moment with the client yes. sofa behind? Right. It's, yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Got you. Um, what's, what's that great big box? Oh, it's one of those. Um, it's one of those ISO box. Vocal ah, booth. OK, right, yeah. right, right. So I've had, I've had Howard with his head poked up inside that for the last couple of months. Right, so, so you're doing vocals in there. OK, got you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is that what you've been working on recently then, Robbie? Is that, uh, yeah, obviously, we know you do a lot of work with Howard Jones, both live and in the studio. Yeah, we're six tracks into the new album. Um, and then we're going to be doing a UK tour in May, and then we're touring with BT's band All Hail the Silence in America next summer. Right, so, cool. So, yeah, it's going to be a synth extravaganza because the album's totally electronic. So it may even be me and Howard going out as a two-piece. So we may add somebody else. But he's, he's ordered, I think he's ordered up a Moog, the new Moog, to take out live. <laughs> oh, so, wow, that's a, that's a yeah. insurance yeah. hell. Does that yeah. mean you, if you're going to go as a synth duo, doesn't that yeah. mean you're going to have to have like a, a Revox or a two-track that's just sort of going round and round on stage, even if it's only on a tape loop, just so that you've got the look, that's the full look, right? I don't know. We're getting a whole load of visuals done, so perhaps we'll get, we'll get some visuals done that, that have a nod to that. Excellent. The, the Ampex uh, warning sign, it looks like, isn't it? It's the sort of Ampex yeah. nuclear zone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, lovely. Uh, excellent. Well, that sounds great. And also, we have Mr. Rich Hilton, uh, who is uh, keyboard live keyboards with Chic. Also, spends a lot of time in the studio with Mr. Nile Rogers. Uh, new album out, actually. I f we, I'm sure we did mention it at some point. How's that all going? That's quite exciting. Are you doing promo for that? Or are you involved? Or is, does does uh, Nile do that solo? I suppose he would, wouldn't he? All of the above. Ah. We're doing promo <laughs> as a group, and he's doing promo in between. Um, as a matter of fact, that many of them are in Wembley Arena right now, or whatever it's called this week, uh, doing some kind of, uh, I think it's a charity gig. I'm not sure. It's uh, something I'm not there for, so I'm not quite sure what it is. But yes, uh, and I was there last month for a couple of weeks doing nothing but promo and TV yeah. and radio and stuff like that. Excellent. Yeah, it's going very well. To well and, and, and you get some time to wash your socks as well. Well, in this particular case, I'm getting to be home for more than a week, which nice. hasn't happened much this year. Wow. Well, uh, Rich, lovely to have you as ever. Uh, and I want to say thank you very much to everybody for joining us and say hi to our YouTube chatties and also our uh, IRC chatties. If you want to get on, involved in that, go to sonicstate.com forward slash live. If you want the YouTube, then subscribe to the channel and you should get a notification saying we're live. In fact, if you do that, then you'll make sure that you'll know when our live event is, is live because we're hopefully, we're going to be bringing our full streaming rig uh, and they've got superb internet bandwidth. So I'm hoping we're going be able to send you some great pictures fingers crossed you know all of that stuff is caveat emptor <laughs> you never know until on the night when somebody puts a uh, there's a lot of construction work going around in the area so somebody's just going to put a pneumatic drill through the big fat internet pipe you know two minutes before you go live that's always a possibility there's not much you can do about that apart from hire a satellite i suppose which is unlikely uh okay let's have a look i think i've got a video for this so yeah oh no that's not it that's not it either. I haven't got a video for this. I've got, I couldn't download it. All I've got is a video for this. Right, there we go. This is the new Ableton Looper from um, KB Devices. 
Hi, my name is Pierre-Antoine Gesson. I'm a musician and producer, and I've released a couple of albums on Edbanger Records as Crazy Bolded. I'm also an Ableton certified trainer, and I provide solutions and consulting for setting up live shows. While working with some artists who do live looping, I realized there was something missing in Ableton Live. The looper that Ableton provides is very useful, but there is no dedicated controller for it. Thanks to my engineering background, I decided to create my own controller that would connect directly with Ableton Live's looper. I called it State of the Loop. And State there it is. The uh, you could go and watch the full kind of project video over on Kickstarter. But it's interesting. I mean, you know, the, the lots of software and things will take uh, ecosystems. You know, I mean, we saw it. Uh, we will create little ecosystems around them, especially live. And most of it's been sort of grid-based stuff and clip-launching side of things. Uh, this is a Kickstarter project. Uh, it's got a month to go, and it's got a little way to go. But it's a dedicated foot switch that allows you to switch between looper instances. Uh, let me just throw that up there. Uh, and gives you kind of start and stop and overdub stuff. Uh, and I'm guessing, you know, it is quite niche, but lots of people like to use loopers live and they might use hardware, but quite often might be using, you know, something like the RC, uh, is it the RC50, whatever it is, 505 and, and Ableton at the same time. I don't know. Um, let's start with you, Matt. I don't know whether loopers are, are your thing and whether you kind of get into yeah. that, because I haven't really discovered, I haven't yeah. used them much in, in live because it's already clip looping yeah. already. So it feels... Yeah, you, you're right, but the, the actual looper plugin within Ableton, which I think came out with Ableton 9, I think it was, because like you say, Ableton is, is loop and clip-based kind of thing. But when the looper came out, I think I think what they saw was this desire for those who are into live looping and play instruments and what have you to capture, capture performances and what you can do. You can also... Um, record and on top of each loop you can reverse you can half time it and and things like that it's really it's a really powerful um little looper actually it's it, you've really got to spend some time with it though practicing with it otherwise uh you you know it's quite easy to to, to mess it up and what have you but having a dedicated controller like this i think is is really cool in the past I, i've used the live looper i I use it quite a lot, actually. Um, in fact, I'll just use it when I'm just jamming stuff out here just to come up with some simple beds or something like that and just render that out as audio. Um, but I've used, I've been using um, one of the old school Behringer FCB 1010 foot controllers. Oh, yeah. And I'll just, I'll just set that up as a MIDI controller. But um, I don't, I've literally just sold the FCB 1010. It, it weighs a ton. It's really, really heavy. It's cool, though, because you've got the expression... Uh, you got two expression um, pedals on it as well as the actual uh, foot switches. But this looks particularly interesting. It's small, it's compact, it's metal, and I think you've basically got one function per one button per function as well in this, which is really cool. So you can do all the interesting stuff like half time and slow things down, um, overdub, um, and and just keep recording over stuff. So. Yeah, this is really cool. My my students use this as well a lot when we start playing around with Ableton, uh, when they're looking at how they can perform live with a computer, essentially, and using using that as a whole, but without standing there and looking like you're checking your emails. Yeah. So sure. we start looking at the introduction of MIDI controllers and using live instruments in in collaboration, basically, and, and we collaborate with vocalists and what have you, and. Um, 
I think the live looper really comes out and shines when you start collaborating with people and, and you've got someone sat there playing guitarists or vocals or, or uh, and you start building up interesting textures and, uh, and things like that. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of it. I use it. We use it a lot in the classroom. I think it's, it's a very cool and powerful tool. Yeah, I mean, I think the difference is because you can. There's loads of generic MIDI controllers that will work with it, but they will. When you do MIDI mapping on that level, unless you get right in and you can access the uh, live API, it's on a per device basis. So you're looping that control to yeah. that instance of the looper. I think this uses Max yeah. for live, so you need Suite, but it will control instances yeah. of looper and you can move around with it. So it's actually that's pretty cool. cool. So I think that's pretty cool. I don't know, Robbie. Do you use any of that stuff? Um, I guess you probably don't use uh -huh. it live. Um, I did, I used to loop a lot, but I used to loop on, I used to loop really primitively with like a bunch of chaos pads and stuff. And I used to loop stuff live in from the band. We are talking about a new show going back to kind of making it much more, you know, stuff available for me to just like to, to, to mangle on the fly in to a much greater degree. So live looping is probably one thing that we probably will introduce back into the show. So, um, yeah. Anything that means you're not kind of frantically button diving and, like you say, looking like you're sort of just sort of hunched over doing your emails is a good thing. So um, I'm sure I'm sure this will have its place because, like you say, you can set up any number of MIDI controllers or a Keith McMillan foot pedal or whatever to do it. But it's like, like you say, it's all very specific for a very specific job and stuff that's got like two-way communication and can work across a number of instances is going to be very appealing to people who don't want to have to deal with all that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Because you have to set up your templates and all that sort of thing. It works. Out. I, I, Rich, I don't know. I don't know how much you use of live, but I mean, this is quite an interesting. It's a niche product. I mean, I wish him well. It's. I think it finishes. It's slated for delivery March nineteen, and it's only two hundred and forty euros, which isn't actually. You know, that's the cheapest. Anyway, it goes up to two sixty or something. I think. You are muted, sir. Take a drink. Take a drink. Um, it's a brilliant product. I really enjoyed the demo video. I think he it looks, assuming that it's as well executed as it looks on paper, so to speak, um, it looks like an absolutely brilliant product for guys. There's, I, I, I see guys using loopers all the time on gigs now. And for a guy who wants to go out with his Ableton rig and have uh, hardware control with foot switches and be able to use his looper in the ways that he's used to using it, um, I think this thing looks brilliant, and I was very impressed. Yeah, I, 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 I do hope. I mean, it's interesting. His background is, uh, I, I really like the, uh, he goes at uh, Crazy Bald Guy, which I think is quite apt. Um, uh, uh, again, another non-hirsute gentleman, certainly on the top of his head anyway. But um, as a, he's an able certain type certified trainer, which, uh, and also is one of those people like, you know, myself or Dave or any one of us who is used to, or Robbie, you know, is used to set, helping artists kind of do, make their setups work for them live. So this sort of, how do I get this technology to, to work in a performance arena, you know, on tour or whatever. And so, you know, he's obviously got a lot of experience to make it work. So I'm hoping, you know, I'm, I'm hoping it does deliver and people will... Uh, will enjoy it for uh, what it is. So yeah, like I say, I think the Kickstarter ends, uh, let's have a look, ends 29, 29 days to go. So that's going to be early December, uh, Friday the 7th of December, that's right. And then uh, it's going to be delivered March 2019, if that's what you're I've always been, I've... Yeah, sorry. Oh. Who was that first? Sorry. Uh, yeah, I was just thinking about actually how this, how this is integrated and how this has been made. I mean, 
I know it connects over USB, but is this is this essentially someone's been able to tap into the Ableton API looper plugin here and then access the code and to, to join that up with yes with the piece of I hardware? I believe so. I believe so. Yeah. And is this something then? Do we think this is still something quite unique to to Ableton that you can actually do that? You can go in and grab these APIs. I mean, how accessible would this be to do on, say, in Logic? Do you think uh, Apple yeah, it's, would I, that? I think it's very different, but I don't know. I mean, I'm, I don't know whether there are APIs that you could get to for that sort of stuff. I mean, it right. it seems to be fairly. There must do because there are. Uh, applications that access specific uh, logic. I don't know, Robbie, you you probably know better because you use logic every day, don't you? Um, I don't, things like logic's a lot more closed, isn't it? I mean, um, and all that stuff about getting two-way communication. So it's, you know, I mean, there are dedicated people who get in. I mean, I think you can, I don't necessarily know if you can natively for logic. Perhaps you can for certain pl- plugins that you use within logic. You can, um, or, or other or other DAWs. I've just been surprised. I've always been surprised that um, Ableton themselves haven't made a foot controller, like a push foot controller that goes as an accompany, you know, like an a companion yeah. to the foot. Seeing as seeing as if your feet are such a useful thing to use when you're trying to control electronic music, um, you know, it, it seems funny that they haven't made something that could control the, you know, that kind of would 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 allow people to do that anyway. But perhaps. Perhaps they'll take their cue from this. I don't know. Well, maybe so. I mean, as we know, hardware is always, you know, it's a risky business because you never know how many you're going to sell. And and I think foot controllers, they're a, a real subset, aren't they? You know, I mean, it, it's very specific. So I suppose, and this is super specific because it's specific to a specific device only within the software itself. So it's Although a lot of people do use Ableton like, or I've seen a lot of people using Ableton like a, a front end for guitars, for like guitar effects and stuff. You know, oh, right, you okay. can put guitar acts and stuff within it. Like a host. So it was made, yeah. you know, you know, I think Apple mm-hmm. made one once, didn't they? They made a Geo, I think it was called, which was kind of like a control that was designed to kind of be a bit like a guitarist foot pedal. But, you know, anyway. <sighs> yeah. yeah. Well, interesting. Um, in other news, uh, this, this arrived today, actually. I don't know if you... Uh, I got the uh, modal sculpt. They brought one in. Uh, this is the production version that's now... I don't know if they're shipping or it's, it's sort of on the boat or on the plane or in customs or, or people are getting it. Uh, well, it's small. It's bigger because it's it's got the... This is the, the case. So the actual thing itself is, is smaller, but... Uh, we had a little play with it earlier. It sounds quite nice, actually. Whoops. They've modelled. They've done a really good job of modelling harmonics on the filter. They do that kind of lovely sing-song. Yes, I'm going to say it, but that's that's all I'm going to say on the diver- on, on the subject. Oh, here we go. Look, um, how about a bit of? Um, here we are. This is what I was looking for. How about a bit of Novation? New base station 2 firmware, 2.5. In this video, we're going to take a look at some of the brand new features that have been implemented in the 2.5 firmware update for the base station 2. We've listened to our customers and implemented some of the key features that have been requested. We've also thrown in a few surprises along the way. In this overview video, we'll take a very quick look at the paraphonic mode, the new microtuning mode, filter tracking control, envelope re-triggering, and also an interesting new oscillator error feature. Without any further ado, let's take a look at the new features. The first thing to say is that we've taken the base station to... Right, once again, you can watch the whole thing, but this is, this is to do with uh, the anniversary. I think it's the 25th anniversary of uh, base station, which, as we know, was a very groundbreaking product for, for, uh, for Novation because oh. it made affordable analogue 
Uh, in fact, it was a precursor, really. I mean, because it, it sort of came and then it went and then it came back again, you know, in recent years, this sort of analogue resurgence. So the original base station, uh, apparently 25 years ago, so it would have been in the 93, what would that be, 93, I suppose, uh, if yeah. it was 25 years ago. And they've added a whole bunch of stuff. So as Novation will be doing with the circuit, they've just basically updated this firmware because the base station 2 must have come out, what, three, four years ago? So uh, I think what is it added? It's added. Uh, it's added a paraphonic mode, filter tracking, envelope triggering, oscillator error, which means it'll uh, it'll do a bit more instability, microtuning, editing, new presets. In fact, I know Dave Spears uh, did some presets for the base station two, and he was saying, in fact, he said, "I'd like to, I'd like to be able to come as I've done patches for the new base station two uh, firmware." Uh, blah, blah blah blah. The base station update is good with the paraphonic mode and the ring mod. I got some good Odyssey lead tones. So. Um, it's great to actually see some of the, the this stuff actually still getting firmware updates, and I, I like that. I don't know whether because uh, most drop it after you know six months. <laughs> they basically mm. it's like oh, it's no longer on the sales curve. Let's just leave it as is. But it's a good sign, right, Rich? Ah, another drink. Ha! Sure, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, take another drink on me. Um, yeah. Looks good. I, I don't have a lot to say about a firmware update, but yeah. <laughs> I, well, it's an int- I suppose it's interesting that it's uh, that that it's they've gone for it and it's added for extra functionality because it's ultimately a, a, still a mostly analog synth with digital control, as far as I'm aware. We've got one here. I haven't hooked it up and loaded the, the firmware up yet, but um, it's a bit of a classic. And the original base station was a classic. Did we? we it was. I think it was more a, maybe a UK thing initially because. There was a lot of remix culture in the UK and everybody was trying to find an analog bass sound and it just was really hard to find anywhere. And I don't know whether that was happening quite so much on the stateside at the same time, at least. Maybe not. I just, I would just reach for the mini mug. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. There, yeah. There, there's the case in point. I don't know. Um, Robbie, I mean, you probably, <laughs> like me, had numerous early Novation equipment. Spoiled. Uh, I, I, had that, I had that bass. I had that. I had I had a control synthesis rack mount 303 sort of bass synth, which was really good, which was like, a, and then and then I started doing live stuff, and that obviously that came along and it had memories, to that and and um and I was I but my fingers were always too fat because they were really funny little plastic knobs on the oh, original. Oh, tiny, one, weren't they? they? Tiny, yeah. Yeah, they're tiny, and there was like to like two knobs next to each other, and my hand, my finger was like in between them to get them with tweezers, but uh, it was a great great synth. I I. I've had a long-standing um, uh, relationship with Novation. In fact, I remember Ian Janaway, who started Novation. He, he, because they were in High Wycombe and I was in Maidenhead. He came around to my house and gave me, gave me. Um, I can't remember what it was. The, that was the monophonic one they brought out afterwards. Um, uh, have memories. It was after the Supernova. Oh, um, KS. The KS. Silver. K- silver. Yeah, it was KS four. Silver color. Yeah, yeah, he came round and gave me one. Came round one day, said, "What do you think of this?" and gave me it. And but I've I've always thought their products, you know, like you say, they were groundbreaking because they kind of made analog kind of like a reality again for like for people, you know that you know that that was going to kind of perhaps you know people could afford it without going out and finding exotic secondhand things that were already starting to go up and up in value already at that time, weren't they? Yeah, 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 so, true. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's great firmware updates. I mean, that's why I've always loved. That's always why I've loved my teenage engineering OP1, which actually died this week. So oh, that's got sad. to go back to them. Yeah, it's going back, going to go back to them. But I've always liked that about them, that they've kind of carried on supporting, a, you know, a synth. And it's like Christmas every time you get an upgrade because 
you get all these new features. So I think it's good that companies still do that and don't kind of just move on to the next thing. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think the thing that's interesting about the base station too, uh, uh, you know, when people say, what synth should I buy? You usually, you, you know, from my point of view, it's usually you're thinking about the stuff that's just come out. So you'd be thinking about, you know, maybe mini brutes and whatnot. But the base station too is also still there. So this is kind of quite a good way of getting it back in the face. And, and I'm sure, you know, because it's quite affordable. I think it's about 330 quid currently in the UK, which is pretty affordable. I don't know, Matt, you probably are closer to... You know, kids who may be buying their first monos. Are there, are there any base station twos amongst the uh, amongst amongst your your lot? Um, to, if they're going to go for the first monos, I tell you what, they tend to go for something like one of the Volkers or something like that, just because they're you know they're so super cheap, really. Right. Um, but the, this is exactly you know it says it is what it it does what it says on the tin, which is it's all about base. This particular synth, and you've got to remember that. And it's it's one of those synths where you're thinking, you know, I think as your first synthesizer, generally, you tend to go for an all-rounder if you can. So it does, it's polyphonic and um, and it can do bass and things like that. So um, I think, I'm just trying to think what my, my novation history was. I think I used to have the drum station, the rack mount drum station. Right. And I loved that. That was really cool because you had 808s and 909s and it had a bit of synthesis thrown in there too. Um, and I've had a play with this. I I really wanted one of these, but I, I'm i just a bit lost for room in here. So it was a toss-up between either the SH-101, the MS-20 for bass is my usual go-to, or something like the Schwemann VCO6 oscillator, uh, which has got six outputs on it, and you combine those together, and that's lovely sound. Um, so, I've, so I've stuck with the SH-101, but this, this is... Um, if you, if anyone out there is thinking about jumping on a bass synthesizer, this is this is such a good one. The low end on it, it's usually the first thing that I go to on a synth is check out that low end and and see how that performs. Um, I'm tell you what, I'm quite excited about though in this is in this update is the envelope retriggering that they've brought in. So now when you get to the end of the cycle of an envelope, it essentially will retrigger the envelope again, as I understand it. Ah, so it's just, uh, what's the decay stage? So it's looping. It would be. It could be looping, right? Okay, I that's think. Right. Is that right? Yeah. Which, which yeah, envelope retriggering essentially. So yeah, it essentially loops depending on the shape of your envelope. You can get some really interesting shapes going on, um, and that'll retrigger once it hits the end of the decay or the release. I believe. Yeah, so okay, yeah. Um, you can kind of have that running independently of. It, its own internal sync or you can find interesting divisions of how that's going to kind yeah, of yeah that's a really good that's a good idea yeah that's a great idea in fact yeah with the, with the tempo love that in fact uh if they're if they're really good and you can tighten them right up you can you can get super audio rate stuff in because i know that works yeah. on quite a lot of uh, envelope triggering you can get that good call yeah, yeah so totally. uh I think it's a free it's a free firmware update as is a lot of their stuff. Uh, well, let's just um, let's just take a break here and uh, have a little word from our friends over at Isotope because uh, they want to tell you about RX7. RX continues to be the industry standard and leader in audio repair for music and post production, and with RX7 we've introduced groundbreaking new ways to quickly and easily fix and manipulate audio. Take the game-changing Repair Assistant, an intelligent helper that can detect noise, clipping, clicks, hum, and more, 
Also new in RX-7 is Music Rebalance, a powerful source separation tool. Drums too loud? Vocals not loud enough? Let's fix that. You can also create instrumental versions of songs by removing the vocal elements. You can now alter the pitch without affecting the timing of your audio, and conversely, alter the time without affecting the pitch with the new variable time and variable pitch modules. Using the new dialog contour, you can improve the performance of a line or even create a new performance by altering the pitch contour of the dialog, therefore adjusting the intonation of the speaker. And introducing Dialog Dereverb, a module powered by machine learning to reduce the presence of reverberations around dialog. RX-7, a new frontier in audio repair. And you can win a copy of your very own uh, RX-7. Uh, if I just bring up the competition page, you can check that out. Uh, what we're looking for is uh, a tweet, uh, which is the hashtag AudioMagic. That's one hashtag, one word rather. Hashtag AudioMagic, the hashtag RX-7 to at Isotope Inc. and at Sonic State. So the hashtag AudioMagic and the hashtag RX-7 to at Isotope Inc. and at Sonic State. And we have a winner from last week. Uh, last week's winner uh, is a chap called Alco. Matt at Alcomat. Uh, oh, I should probably go to me because you don't want to see that tiny text. That's that rich. In fact, I'll press the right button in a minute. Um, so uh, they won uh, the the supercomputer. It says de desperate to reach uh, industry stand with RX7. Pick me, random genie. Which in fact it did. It seems to be, and this is uh, this must be some kind of weird electromagnetical kind of you know uh, stratospheric thing. You know, if you say I really want to win this. That's happened a couple of times recently, and it's, I, mean, I can assure you it's absolute. there's no human interaction in this whatsoever, but there must be some kind of weird energy that that sends out. So anyway, Alcomat, if you want to get in touch, uh, then please do, and you are the winner of RX-7 this week. So um, let's get back to, uh, ah, this was, and now I thought I was being really clever here because uh, I thought, ah, oh, patch from scratch. I saw this as a topic come up on uh, Facebook from Make Noise, uh, which is here, which, and it turns out that it's actually a, a YouTube premiere video, so I can't play it. Um, but essentially, you know, it's just them patching on a Make Noise system, which lo looks rather lovely. And I was wondering about um, what, more of a sort of general question is when you reach when you're confronted with a synthesizer you know if you're depending on if you're if you're not going for something specific or maybe you are what is it you start with what's the kind of what are your starting points confronted with a new instrument a new synthesizer where do you go first and is that do you have a particular kind of flow that you might approach um making a patch from scratch I'll come to you rich first i mean i know you've got a long history of synthesis and as you said you reach for the mini moog i mean i don't know uh, well, first of all, what hardware synth no. would you reach for at first if it was, you know, at work and you just go, I feel like I need to make a patch for whatever? I've, I've gotten rid of all the hardware synths, <laughs> so it wouldn't be a hardware synth to start with. Um, I don't usually start my writing process with sound design. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just not the way I usually work. So most of my programming tends to be mostly purpose-driven. And while I'm easily sidetracked and willing to change my mind about things drastically as I'm working, I usually let the music suggest things to me. I usually don't start with the programming. That said, there have been times where I've stood in front of a hardware or a software synth and pulled up some kind of patch and series of patches that inspired me to create a piece. And in fact, 
there's a piece in the project that I started uh, at the beginning of this year that, that started with such a patch that I had written here uh, in main stage using a whole lot of different sources and use that as the basis for a piece. So on some level, it's just what appeals to me when I'm writing when I'm writing patches in in a vacuum, so to speak, like yeah. out of the blue for no particular purpose. I, I just kind of gravitate towards things that sound good to me and try to make something that's got enough interest and motion that it can serve some kind of functional musical purpose. But generally speaking, I don't start from programming in the writing process. I usually apply the programming later to the writing process. Yeah, I mean, I and imagine... I let, and I let the music tell me what to do. That's yeah, the key, is I let the music tell me what to do. That I mean, that, and, you know, thinking about this question, I mean, for most people working music, that's essentially the same kind of route that they're likely to take. I mean, I'm sure, Robbie, it's exactly the same for you. I mean, if you're working yeah. on a production, you think, I need a sound. You know, yeah. this needs a chord pad or this needs a bass sound. You know, you're going to you know, you're gonna have an idea where to go initially. Yeah. I, 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 but when I do film stuff, I always, when we start doing a film project and I've watched what, what, what it, what it is, I usually create a bank of sounds on my OP1, just a bank, eight sounds, just as like sounds that I think just, I don't know, that just somehow feel like they could be, have a sort of a bit of a, a synergy with it and, and try and incorporate those as a kind of a kind of, as a kind of a recurring thing that's the only time that i ever do that because that's because you're essentially already being presented with half of the picture well no pun intended but you know what i mean but whereas you know if you if you start working with somebody brings in songs and they they've got no arrangement to them already they're just like on a piano or whatever it's really all about it's a call and response isn't it to how it develops so like Rich says, you know, as a, as a project develops, I mean, I get really involved in sound design. It's a big part of what I do, but it's just totally, it's just intuitive because I can, I can hear very clearly holes in arrangements sonically and in terms of harmonically where the holes are. And I just mm. intuitively know what kind of sounds to kind of start hunting for in while I'm kind of making sounds that will, will fulfill those kind of purposes. So I, I don't really have that kind of right. I think probably if you're obviously, if you're a sound designer making hundreds of patches to sell commercially, you probably sit down and go, right, I've got to make hundred patches that sound like the dark night or whatever, hundred patches of the, and then, and then you have a very clear idea of how you can get there. But I think for producers who are kind of, also into technology and sound design it's very much more of a, a less considered approach like that. mm, that's true I, although i will say i mean for instance um when presented with because uh, you did some stuff on the deep mind 12 and there's that bit where you yeah, just got yeah. you got given it and it's like okay there's no agenda here it's like yeah, what does what true. does this do so you know and, and, yeah. and uh, some, the, i remember because uh, yeah. one of the patches you did everybody just went oh my goodness you know that's just that's got something about it. I mean, what are you following, say, in that? I mean, I know that's a really unusual thing, and that's more in my territory because I get stuff in and I, I don't have an agenda. I've just got to figure yeah. out what it does. I think it's I think it's understanding. It's understanding trying to get... Un, it's understanding what your instruments can and can't do in terms of if you've got a, if you've got a number of instruments or, you, or whatever, you've got a number of plugins, you, you, you just have to have an understanding 
before you start of what their what their strengths and weaknesses are. And therefore, you've probably then got a kind of prioritization of the sort of instrument you're going to immediately go to for, like you say, a bass or maybe something that's kind of very big polyphony or something, you know. So you, you have to have a... So I think in that instance with the, with the Deep Mind, I immediately thought this instrument's strength is probably that it's got... It's the voicing and the fact that it's got all these great effects built in. So it immediately made me want to try and do something that explored that aspect of it. Um, so I think, you know, like, like Rich, I mean, everyone's got their favorite instruments, haven't they? They go to, and there are some people who've made a career out of saying, I've done pretty much all my sound design on one keyboard for my whole career, you know. I mean, like Japan, didn't Richie Barbier pretty much exclusively use a Prophet 5 to do everything? And he had like he was very secretive. He had he was amazing at mastering that instrument, but he just did it all on that, you know. Yeah. Or, or Brian Eno always used a DX7. He so he said to do all that stuff, you know. It's 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 really just um, fundamentally knowing what you've got and knowing uh, knowing what instrument to to use as your starting point. Because there's no point in flogging a dead horse and trying to get get a sound out of an instrument that's basically fundamentally not capable of doing it well yeah you say that but there, there's also but the composition also the situation where that's all i've got and i want to get something close yeah. to this how close can i get and that's that's the thing you know we, we've seen that it, 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 in some ways it's that kind of transition from bedroom producer to making a finished product i mean a lot of people myself included would would have said well part of the way that I approached things was me trying to approximate what I was hearing elsewhere without having any of that equipment. Yeah. So that defines part of your sound, even though the yeah. core of it is attempted emulation, what you end up is, is with something unique because you can't make it exactly the same. I but the thing is that the important thing to point out now is that none of us have those restrictions because any number of us, you know, with one simple program, even a program like Logic, you could pretty much recreate any sound you could ever think of, pretty much. I mean, I know. Without any saying, extra stuff, yeah, that's true. But you know what I mean? But what I'm saying is we're not in a situation where we've only got one tiny little synth each that's kind of very limited with polyphony or, you know, it, we've all got the tools at our, ha our disposal to pretty much do whatever uh, our talent or imagination allows us to do. Mm. Yeah. I was recently in a position like that, actually, where I was at a session, I had my... Uh, the Seaboard block and my iPad, and I wasn't expecting to have to play that day. And a bunch of other circumstances conspired to make it desirable for me to do keyboards that day, which I hadn't expected to do. And so I had to basically take the Seaboard block and my iPad and the various sound sources related to that and try to make music with it all day. And in some cases where I thought things were a long shot, they worked great. And they may not have been exactly what I expected or thought I was going for when I first started out. But as I say, I'm kind of flexible as I'm going along. And if one idea kind of morphs into something else, that's cool. I'm usually fine with that. I don't, I'm not really dug in about getting that first thing that I thought of. And in that particular case, as one does, I embraced the limitations and tried to make something cool out of what was there. And I really love doing it. It's like opening the refrigerator door and making a cool meal out of whatever's in there. It's just, it's got that kind of cool, creative feeling to me. I really enjoy that. Yeah, but I no. agree with you that typically in our home lives and with our studios around us, we're not limited like that. We have like, you know, 15 potential solutions to every, you know, supposed problem. Mm, that's true. And it's just a question of choosing one. Yeah. I know, Matt, I mean, you know, modular world is kind of a different thing because there's in many ways there's a journey. I mean, do you start 
do you just start messing around or do you think I want, you know, I've got just a concept in my head I'm going for, how can I do that with the equipment I've got here? I mean, in terms of patch creation there. Uh, I guess there's, there's a certain element of inspiration in terms of I'm after a particular sound. I might have seen a particular artist play or might have seen an Instagram video or something like that. And I thought, oh, God, that, that sounds really nasty. What's that? I've got to try and reproduce that. Um, so I'll have a go at that. But the way actually I have things laid out are is quite uh, thought out. So I have a polyphonic area here for chords, which allows me to sweep through different waveforms and things. I won't go into this in mass detail. Um, and then I've got bass section up here, which allows me to do distortion. And then I've got the kind of random sections here and modulation sections here. So it's never it's it's never really random, although the whole journey i suppose with modular is about trial and error and trying things out and swapping things in you know how does this oscillator perform with this filter how does this envelope perform with this filter um how can i get interesting sequences and modulation going on that kind of thing so the whole whole thing is a process within itself i i guess but um it's it's very it's very rarely random I suppose if I ever come across a, a typical, any synthesizer that's come out of, there's one in front of me. And it's funny you bring this question up, actually, because there was someone was talking about this on a podcast I was listening to this morning. And someone said that you can go to someone's modular and you can start patching. But what they tend to find themselves doing, even if it's a different set of oscillators and filters and envelopes, they actually end up more or less around the same endpoints that they've got on their own system at home. So there's this element, I suppose, of us all have a particular desire out of a machine, out of an instrument when you get it, whether that's a guitar with some pedals and a particular reverb or or whether it is with a synthesizer. And for me, whenever I play on a synthesizer the first time, I just try and get the most extreme sound out of it together. I'll stack up those oscillators. I'll try and see if, how how it how big it can go without distorting and then see how much you can actually reduce it right down and see how that filter performs so i'll try and take it from one extreme to another i can i can see uh a guitar being picked up here rich is picking up the guitar he's reaching for the guitar so i suppose that's another thing that one might do one might do as well um Okay, well, I, I just thought it was an interesting thought because, I mean, from my point of view, you know, I have to find out, like, like what you were saying, Robbie, I have to find out what the capabilities are. Then I suppose I have to try and apply whatever it is is my instinctive yeah. sound creation, which is, I guess, also linked to my ability or inability to play. You know, if I was a very verbose and, and technically accomplished player, I'd be looking at lots of different sounds. They would be probably shorter and less long and languid because I'd be playing more notes and they'd all sound a bit wrong if they had massive release on them. So if I, but, but as it is, I'm, I'm a more, I'm a, I'm a slower keyboard player. I'm not technically kind of very competent at playing fast passages. So those sounds tend to relate to that and to inject speed into things. I would probably use sequences, which would be running at, you know, beat divisions that are faster than I can play for the tempo. So there, are, I suppose there are quite a lot of uh, factors, which would, which would, make a difference yeah. i suppose to I what mean, sounds you might go for and why you go for them as a certainly you know in a vacuum because i'm not working with i'm not trying to make my synth review apply to you know 
somebody who's in a metal band rather than uh, an ambient dub band or whatever. It's just I have to apply my own sensibilities. But it, it's a different process. And sometimes it's hard to find those those points. I agree. Did you say you, uh, you raised your hand? Somebody somebody was speaking there. I, I, sorry, I, was, I missed who. I, I, I was just going to say, um, going back to your point about, you know, you, you sometimes you hear something or whatever and you and you and you you have limited tools but you try and recreate them i think i think i think the best example for me of of how that's really i remember when i got my first i had lots of really tin pot synths casio and all stuff and then i got my first synth which my first synth which had a sequencer which was a roland d20 and when i was when i saw the roland d20 you know that workstation yeah which had a basically a d110 in it and a keyboard and a sequencer and a floppy disk drive I suddenly thought I could perform live and I could do all this stuff. Eight-note polyphony. I remember at the time going, right, I'm going to recreate two tribes on it, you know. And and you go and you try and recreate a song like, you know, productions of the time that you were just like in awe of and you, you know, try and get all the sounds. And I got very frustrated because I realised that I couldn't recreate that with those songs. Yeah, you, you went saying, for the wrong track, <laughs> the wrong producer. Yeah, what I'm saying is... Well, <laughs> I didn't realise there wasn't even proper filter in the D20. You know, I didn't, I didn't understand all those things about having filters and analog, all, all that, all that kind of stuff. But what I'm saying is now, if somebody wanted to recreate something like Two Tribe, with, with if they had, if they had some, if they had some talent, they could pr- sit in front of something like Logic, and they could probably do a pretty good job of getting somewhere about a million Very times good. closer than I could yeah, have yeah. done. With a thousand pound instrument that at the time was all I had. So what I'm saying is, is that. They're, these these tools, all these tools we have now, they do afford us to to be, you know, to, to luxury in terms of a starting point of jumping off points that we never had before. Um, but they also like they also kind of hinder us because they do give us too many jumping off points. Yeah, you spend more. Not, I suppose we spend more time enough, on it. Not enough tenaciousness to really find that sound. You know. Yeah, yeah. I would I would agree with that. I think that's a fair point. Um, I, uh, I, I think that probably topic is, uh, unless anyone's got anything to add, I wanted to move on to something that, was, uh, that, that really made my heart go out to this fine gentleman or lady. I don't know who, who it was specifically, but uh, this, was, uh, this was the sort of uh, and finally topic that I thought I'd throw in here, which is uh, uh, my gla- uh, basically this, is, this picture is titled My Glass Desk Just Shattered. There's a TRA MX1 MicroMonster Electribe. Uh, some boutiques in there somewhere, and that that is just and that's by uh, let me see somebody called Acid Alex three hundred nine, which I guess could be a guy or a girl. Uh, that's just that's so excruciatingly painful that I. And, uh, but but I mean, our hearts go out to you. Hopefully, it's all all right. I mean, the worst thing is there's loads of glass everywhere, uh, which is not so great. So I wondered whether there was a. Um, those sort of like we like you know Gaz has had this thing where his keyboard sta- his mic stand fell over and broke the key off his uh, off his sledge, which we saw live. That actually happened on a Sonic Talk. I just wondered if anybody had any of those kind of incidents that, that where they that, that moment where you go oh oh no oh no because we sometimes have a glass desk here for shoots and I'm really nervous that you know like a camera may drop something drops from the ceiling it would just explode like a windscreen. Uh, Rich, I know you've been you've been. You've probably been in studios longer than I have, um, so you might have more <laughs> experience be. to draw upon of such things. But, the, you know, there, there are moments, aren't there, where you just go, oh, my goodness, you know, whether it's the vintage uh, uh, Gibson 335 that somebody put precariously on a stand and then tripped over and off it went, you know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping you how can about, enlighten me. How about breaking a bass string 
on the high school's Steinway Grand Piano during a rock and roll performance. Wow. What happened? Is that well, that's that's a huge release of tension. What happened there? Did were there any other damage? Did it break anything? Because that can whip. No. That's a long. Oh right. Okay. No, 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 no. There were no animals were harmed during the making of this story. But um, in fact, during a rock and roll performance at the high school, I broke a string on the school's grand piano. I've heard... I think that's the best one I've got. I don't, I don't really have much in the way of like I haven't poured a coke into my laptop. I haven't. I, I tend to be really careful with the gear. So that's the best one I've got for you. So I know uh, you. Well, I guess I, I saw I saw Slash once break the headstock off of a Les Paul while he was trying to bend pitch on it. Um, well, it just so snapped in his hands. Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, he, and it nailed him in the face. It was a rehearsal in '96, and uh, yeah, he was he got hurt. That, <laughs> he I always hurt. I always have that feeling when tuning a guitar, and yet there's that kind of <laughs> yeah. as it's going up and up and up, yeah. you just think. What if I'm not a concert pitch and I'm like an octave above already and then suddenly I've got this ridiculous tension and it's going to snap? I, I have the same thing with pumping up tyres at the garage, you know? Um, I, 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 I tend to, I tend <laughs> to look away. Yeah, blue, in blue, his, up balloons. <laughs> same sort in of In his thing. case, he was doing that Les Paul player's pitch bending trick where you grab the headstock and you kind of pull it oh, against wow. the body because he didn't have an actual whammy bar in that guitar and he actually snapped, snapped that baby right off. Yeah, that's that's got to hurt, I'd imagine. Robbie, I, I'm guessing you yeah. might have a couple of tales from well, the... Well, my, my own personal one was I remember coming back from tour once and I just recently got... Remember when those Logic Controls came out? Imagine oh, Logic yeah. Control. They're proper dedicated controllers, and I had, like, the main one and a sidecar, and I was all really, I'm really, really proud of it. And then I came back and I, I was booted up my studio and there's there this horrible smell... And I was just like, what is this smell? And these, these things didn't want to work. And on lifting them up, all this, all this horrible, smelly stuff started running out of them. And I realized our cat at the time, that the studio door had been left open. And for some reason, he'd taken a liking and just started coming in and pissing all over my controllers. Oh for my however God. long. I don't know how many weeks. So there was however many weeks of his piss inside these things. <laughs> and so they were uh-huh. – I'd sent them back to the, the time, and I, I, they, I, they, they actually kindly sent me some new ones. I think they thought it was such a kind of a – sort of a, you know, a tragic story. Jeez, but, yeah, that was mine. That's but I did terrible. see I – I, I, I was doing a mix of an album once in Alabama, and I saw somebody knock a can of full-fat Coke straight into a Neve desk, which then promptly, totally died. And they had to strip it down to, like, per, you know, every single channel of the whole desk. And so basically the whole oh. studio had to shut down for, like, a how a couple of weeks while they did it. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's, the, that, good, that, that's it? tricky, isn't it? Because it's it, I, I don't think I've ever been in a studio where it says no drinks anywhere, but you sort of feel like you're being careful. And there's always the chance oh, yeah, that you no, just I- accidentally on the meter bridge and somebody went behind the desk to do something oh, and they just, oh. they just knocked it oh. they knocked it with their elbow and it just fell straight off the meter bridge onto the desk and they just sort of went like a sort of the rapids of coke all down all <laughs> oh. the channels foaming up foaming rapids all down the channels oh, oh man that is that oh, that's that is a scary that is that, that yeah is, i don't like the vintage, sound of that at all like a, it was like a vintage neve desk it was like it was i can't remember what it was it was like you know their pride and joy 
There's yeah. the, I, I'm sure I've told the legendary story of Ken Macbeth, um, who is a great guy and is always a bit of a live wire. And his, uh, you know, this is probably 10, 15 years ago where he used to get quite, at NAMM, he got, they're, they're, at the end of the day, you know, it was a big release. He was Scottish, he was quite a big drinker at the time. I don't think he's kind of that same guy anymore. But um, he he went to the Buchler stand and spilt a pint of lager on the one of the big systems there, which everybody was talking about the next day. I didn't see it, so it may not be a true story. But And if it is, I do apologise, Ken, for besmirching your... But I, I think you probably enjoy the notoriety that that might have given him at the time, if it, if it isn't true. But yeah, I mean, that's like a 20, 30 grand kind of synth. So it was like, yeah, I don't know. OK, Matthew, I, I'm sure you must have... There must be something. You've got a dog, for goodness sake, you know. Yeah, she's all right. Actually, more things fall on the dog. She sleeps down here while I'm working right by my feet. And the amount of times I drop <laughs> these cables on her, <laughs> on her head, bless her. Um, but uh, what's the worst thing that's happened to me? I think back at school, I remember passing someone an acoustic guitar and they, they didn't quite get it as I, as I let go and the thing shattered and I got detention for about... Oh, God, it was about three or four months. And the music teacher actually made me fix the, the, the guitar back up into shape, which is quite cool, actually. I enjoyed that process, but they weren't very happy. Um, I've had a MacBook laptop. In fact, the one just before this, I had it set up on a music stand doing a live stream. And the music stand, I just hadn't tied it up properly. Uh, all just, the threads uh, were just loose. And it just slowly, it slowly over time just been drooping, drooping until it just got to a point where it just went whoop. And that screen just smashed, and that had gone. Um, I, I'm, I, I must admit, I'm, I'm really surprised at myself because you know we do trade shows. We've been doing trade shows since yeah. 1999 or something with camera rigs, and I can't think of, I can't think of a oh. single. I mean, we have had accidents, but I can't. Oh, I mean, good. we haven't. You know, that you'd imagine one would drop something, or there'd be yeah. a cable attached to something. You walk away. I'm really, yeah. really conscious of it, and I'm very, I'm usually very, very careful. So I don't. I'm trying to think. I don't think we've br had any of those sort of terrible catastrophes for ages. The worst thing, the only thing I, just, I remember doing once, and I've probably told the story, is when when we did Tom's Diner. We got flown over to New York to work with Suzanne Anton Sankey, and uh, uh, who was her, her boyfriend and producer at the time. And uh, I had to thread the tape and put it on while somebody was in there. And I and I, did, I didn't realise that the tape had these metal sharp metal guards across the front of the playheads. And I put I threaded it round and I just rewound the tape across these sharp edge tape. And I was like, uh, oh my god! And I don't I think it was all right, but I just suddenly realised that it was rooted wrong. And I was like, oh my god! And I thought I'd blown the entire session. I, I'm sure they had a copy of the movie. Robbie, you had a, you had something else there, I'm uh, sure. Yeah. I just, I just remembered the the mother of all stories. I can't remember. I've, I've blotted it out of my mind. Or why was it? I did. I had like this dance duo, and we went to do a festival in Europe. And I took, it, I had, I had a Mac laptop, and I had a, I had a six inch six six U SKB rack and a keyboard. And um, in this SKB rack, I had a a Roland S seven S seven hundred sampler. You know the yeah. playback one. Yeah. SP seven hundred, and I had a, an X an XV5080 Roland module, you know, the 2U big all-signal dancing synth module and a couple of Boss, F, I can't remember what they were. SC70s? Um, yeah, effects processors, yeah. I had them in this rack and I had a, and and then built into the top of this rack was a, was the Yamaha 01V, 
and it all everything was submixed into it. Anyway, got to got to, I think it was just Berlin, and went to the luggage belt, and it didn't come out on the luggage belt. It didn't come out for ages and ages and ages, and then over the over the intercom system, I heard Mr. Bonneman, and I knew that I was being called to go. So I went to the desk, and as I was walking to the desk, I saw my rack being wheeled in, and it was like a parallelogram. <laughs> the whole rack was literally crushed, but like sideways, not fully crushed like this. And everything in it was like all the cables were hanging out, the lids had fallen off the front and the back. And basically what they'd done was they'd taken it off the plane, put it down on the runway, and then for some reason they'd backed the little luggage cart onto it before they put it on the luggage cart. And so they basically squashed it. So basically, it was, I didn't have any backup system at all. Like, it didn't have backing tracks, nothing. But I don't know how, but it actually powered up. All this <laughs> gear powered up, even though it was all, like, sideways like this. And it worked for the gig. And there was, like, all the faders, tops were missing for the O1V. It all worked for the gig, and then it never powered up again. And we got wow. through an hour-long gig. And then, and then had a massive long fight for insurance, which I did actually get. But I just remember this sickening feeling of seeing this thing wheeled out that was literally like that oh, sideways. Oh. And I, it was the horriblest feeling ever. Yeah, yeah because so, yeah. as with many of these things, you were probably flown in with very little time before the gig. Yes, it was. It was like two hours before it. There wasn't a sound check. It was a festival-type vibe. <laughs> just go there, line check, go there. And I was just... It, it was in an arena. It was like a big thing. It was like loads of other people playing. It was hor- horrible. Wow. Horrible. Yeah. Well, well, well that's, that's, that's a great story. Something yeah. to look yeah. out for. We were touring a lot last year, and um, I used to push a lot on stage, and it goes in a guitar case. If you've got a, a standard square guitar case, these things just fit beautifully into them, nice and padded and tight. But I didn't realise there was a screw sticking down. This one had been made faulty. And it's one of the screws that keeps one of the locks in place on the guitar case oh, from the outside. Wow. Screws down into the case. It was protruding, but I couldn't see it because it, it was under some material. But over time, it had just been scratching away this corner of my Ableton push controller. Oh, and yeah, over I time, oh. I don't know if you could see that very well, but... I just didn't notice. You don't notice it at first, but after after three or four months, it just got worse and worse. And I'm I'm thinking, what what's happened? How is this? And I'm looking in my case. You can't see the screw because it's behind all this cushion felt and things like that. And then, yeah. So just watch out for screws sticking out of guitar cases. Is the moral of the story there? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I, I, Robbie, I think you win the uh, the, the, the kind oh, of catastrophe catastrophe out, story. Out of my brain, because even now I feel ill when I think about it. Just that moment of seeing it, oh, God. Well, I'm sure it led to you being totally prepared for almost any eventuality aside from, you know, earthquakes or whatever, you know. So it's like if no power or the whole thing gets cancelled, then there's nothing you could do. But if it's a gear thing, I I, was doing, I probably plugged in a few things in the wrong voltage. In fact, I know I have. Uh, when we first, yes, oh, yeah, in, I, yeah I, I'm absolutely Yeah, I've blown sure up some modules doing that. First ever yeah. Eurorack module I got, the first ever one. It didn't come with the ribbon cable connected the, on it. So I just, I didn't even know about the red stripe thing and the minus 12 volts thing. And I just plugged it in. And no, poof, I think that was that's, that's actually something over. that needs to be made much, much, much yeah, clearer. With your yeah. still, it's still very easy to do. Yeah, still very easy. It is. They, they, they are getting better at it though. Um, but I must say, um, the fact that Alex, who took that photograph of the smashed glass, it's, 
I just find it crazy that <laughs> they took the time to take the photo of it and and what have you, be- rather than just kind of grabbing all the gear and sort of trying to sort it all out. So, well, thanks for that, sharing that. Uh, that's that is on the Reddit synthesizers page. If you check that out, it's a right. great uh, resource. There's a lot of stuff going there every uh, yeah. uh, every day. You know, so th- 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 there's always a lot of synth related stuff there. But I saw that and I thought, oh, I feel for you, Alex. I hope it's I hope it's all all right. I suspect it. Oh, actually, I've just noticed. He's got the IKEA, whatever that stand thing is called, in the background there. It's a black one. Yeah, yeah good gas, work. Gas, gas, gas smashed the key off his uh, sledge live on the show once, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I started out, he mentioned that. Yeah, and, <laughs> that broke, was, and broke the head off a, his... That was yeah. a cracker. Yeah. Ouch. Well, I think we're probably we're probably at the point at which I know we had to... I, I didn't think I'd have enough topics, but actually we got plenty. We didn't even get to Groove Agent, but maybe that can keep for another time uh, and we can talk about some of those... Uh, those kind of drumming and groove drum type programming uh, um, applications at another time. So I'll keep that one there. Um, so I want to say thank you very much for joining us, everybody. I want to say uh, thank you for Isotope for the competition. In fact, I'll just run that one more time. Uh, if you want to enter to win Isotope RX7, we're looking for the hashtag Audio Magic, the hashtag RX7 to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. Do check that out. And also, don't forget if you want to see, uh, want to come to our event in Bristol, uh, Bitly. Slash Sonic Live 18, bit.ly slash Sonic Live 18. Of course, if you stick around uh, on the 24th of November, about 6.30 UK time, we'll start streaming the stuff that's coming out of the event uh, with DBS Music over there in Bristol. So thanks very much. So, uh, Matt, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure having you as nice ever. One. And uh, thanks we for having will, me. you're always welcome. Uh, got any more uh, stuff, yeah. content planned for your channel? Yeah, uh, I've got to do a couple of live, new live streams, actually. It's, it's been a while. I've, I've been a bit ill and, and stuff like that, but I'm over the cold now. Um, looking forward to coming to an event in Bristol. I'm going to come along with Mr. Chris Calcutt. and uh, And it'd be good to meet all you guys and, and anyone else who regularly tunes in for this Sonic Talk as well, who's in the chat rooms and stuff. So come say hello. It'd be nice to see you all and what have you. So, yeah, looking forward to that. Thanks for having me on, Nick. You're welcome. You're welcome. Another point is I just got a call from uh, CBC, uh, Canadian Broadcasting Company, their Radio 1 station. They're actually sending a reporter over to cover the event who's being flown from Canada to do like artist interviews and, and do a special on the event, which is awesome. So, Ben Channon, right. thank you for that. That makes us feel, certainly makes me, no pressure then, you know. <laughs> I did sort of say, oh, it's only a small thing. No, honestly. And he's like, no, no, I'm coming. My producer says I've got the fly. He's like, wow. Thank you very much, Robbie. Um, I hope you've got uh, a, a busy week and fruitful yeah. without being too... Uh, Two studio I'm, I'm going to come to the event. I'm going to be obviously come down to the event as well. Of course. Well, you're in Bristol. Yes, I, I'd be disappointed if you weren't there. To be frank, it's but, literally uh, it's literally about less than a mile from where I live, so it's nice and nice and convenient. Excellent. And I can say there is a bar as well, so that will be uh, maybe something that will make you feel even happier. And you can oh, walk okay. home. You can Uber, <laughs> you can Uber, Uber or whatever. Yeah, or a bicycle. Yeah. Get on my bike. Actually, not yeah, a good idea. Yeah, why not? And, uh, well, thanks for joining us, Robbie. A pleasure as ever. And also, Mr. Rich Hilton, thank you for joining us. And I'm um, glad to have to hear that you've got some time at home and you can kind of get back into the family routine and all those things that you must have been missing. Thank you very much, Nick. I enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna. I have some work to do here on music too, so I'm really looking forward to being home for a while. Because then, at the end of November, we start a tour in Europe and the UK for the right. month. Ah, so yeah, back on the road again. 
Well, okay, yeah. that's it for this time. Thank you very much for joining us. I'll flip to our little four shot for our goodbyes. Uh, and once again, yes, thank you for everybody in the chat rooms. Pleasure to have you. And uh, that's it for this time. We'll see you next time. Take care. <laughs>